The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Fighter versus the Rider. I'm Damon Martin. I am very happy to be joined in this post UFC 297 world by one of my favorite co-hosts on the show. He is one of the top analysts for the UFC, and of course, former fighter in his own right. I'm always happy to speak to Alan Joban. Alan, how are you? I'm doing good, brother. I, I was out of town for the weekend. Son had a soccer tournament in Texas, but. I was up late on my phone in the dark while they were sleeping, watching these fights, man. You know, you had the, you, you, I, it was one that obviously, you know, you don't want to miss any fights, but the the back and forth that led up with Drikas Duplessis and Sean Strickland, and then they became kind of brotherly friends during fight week, which is kind of odd surprise, but that fight itself was one that uh, it, it was a couldn't miss for most MMA fans. So I, I thought it delivered as well, man. It was a fun night of fights. Yeah, we're going to get into everything on, on the show today, you know, obviously breaking down everything that happened at UFC 297. But I wanted to ask you, like, how crazy like, is it kind of wild? And you again, you're around the sport a lot beyond just like me as media, like you're around the fighters, you're around, you know, obviously going to a lot of the UFC events, covering the UFC events, being an analyst. Is it wild how much of a star it seems like Sean Strickland has turned into in the last like year or so? Like six months ago, I did a podcast with Matt Brown and I said, there he has I basically said he had no chance to beat Israel Adesanya. Like I just said there's no chance. Like it's just not gonna happen. He goes out there and does it. And the transformation of Sean Strickland basically being a guy that no one believed could become champion to where we are now, five, six months later, to where he is legitimately it is wild to see the transformation he's undergone. It, you know what it is, and and I agree. It's the same thing a lot of people saw. A lot of people, including myself, didn't think that Sean had a chance. Now I was one of the few guys, though, that, you know, because I've trained with Sean and everybody that trains with Sean kind of has this insider information that like the guy is really good and he's very awkwardly effective. And so everybody that had trained with it, I think uh, 
Chris Curtis had a lot of interviews um, leading up to and leading uh, or, or following that fight where Chris, because Chris is a guy, obviously, we know, trained with Sean Trickland a bunch. You have a lot of um, friendships and then they'll kind of throw each other under the bus. But they have punched each other in the face probably more than any two sparring partners when it comes to Sean Strickland. So he was one of the guys kind of leading the charge on saying, listen, you guys don't understand. Sean is deceptively good. I know he kind of has this style where he's very upright. He kind of keeps his jab hand low. He's kind of has that Philly shell style. And it looks like he's almost just sparring, but it's very effective and very tough. And immediately I was always commenting on Chris Curtis's stuff before and after the fight saying, I'm in a total agreeance because every time that I sparred and I trained with Sean Trickland, he gave me hell. He gave me hell. He was by far at Black House when Black House, when I was at Black House and Kevin Casey and Brian Ortega, Pedro Munoz, all these guys in UFC were all training with each other. He was the toughest guy in the gym. He was the toughest guy in the gym and he would go with the heavyweights, the light heavyweights, et cetera, et cetera. And at the time, he was still in my weight class. He was a welterweight, but he would balloon up to 210 pounds. He's six foot one. He's got this long, rangy jab that he could snap it out there like a piston. And he's just this awkwardly effective guy. And I was preaching this for years and years saying, Sean is a killer in the gym. He just hasn't shown the world what his ceiling is yet. But I guarantee you, like his floor is higher than people realize. Like he's very, very good. Obviously, with the Israel Adesanya fight, it's just we thought Israel Adesanya was going to be too good, too long, too fast, too rangy, and too technically sound for Sean's uh, style to work. But he shocked the world. And although I didn't think that that would happen. I definitely gave him a, a, a chance, a chance in there. Um, but uh, to go back to what you said, Damon, um, when he shocked the world like that, it's like his his star power rose. And obviously you become a champion, then yeah, you get more followers, etc. But the world saw this guy that was much more relatable than some of these other guys. This guy that just calls himself like an average dude. He didn't want to be a superstar. He wanted to be this average dude that it had kind of a troubled past that worked his ass off and made it. And his, 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 uh, his brand, his style, his, his, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like his, his credibility, his, his, um, whatever, his following, it just went up, man, because his relatability. And I think, so it, it skyrocketed and it, and it took me by surprise because at the time going into that fight, you know, with aside from John Jones and maybe Conor McGregor, Israel Adesanya, to me, was the biggest star in the sport. Everything that he's been doing, the title run that he was on, and, and, and his following alone, he was kind of the biggest thing that the UFC had up until that point. Yeah, it's wild. It's so wild. And then coming into this one, you know, we all knew how ugly things had gotten, you know, in, in a couple months, you know, going back to that press conference in December, the fight in the crowd, very public comments. And then the week before the fight, Sean saying, you know, if you say anything about my childhood, I'm going to stab you. And it got pretty wild. And then we see that embedded video show up and, you know, Sean walks over, Drake just walks over to his girlfriend. He's like, hey, I'm Sean. Nice to meet you. It's like the most cordial, like, you know, best of luck kind of situation. And then they were very cordial. The press conference, like they put bad blood behind him. It was all good. And then they went out there and had a pretty incredible five round fight. It was a battle throughout. Uh, very close, you know, very, very close contest on the night of the fight. When it was over, I scored it three rounds to two for Sean Strickland. Now, I said on Twitter, and I'll say it again now, very close fight. I don't have a problem with Drake's duplicity winning that fight. We're talking about one round of difference. And really, I think rounds two and three were so close 
that you can't you can't sit here and say anything's a robbery. I thought round one and five were pretty clearly for Sean. Round four was pretty clearly for Drakus. Round two and three were both toss ups. Um, I said 48 47 is the correct score, whether you had it for Sean or you had it for Drakus. I don't think it's a robbery either way. How did you how did you see it watching it when you saw it on Saturday night? I saw it the same way. I saw three rounds to two, but I was leaning the other way. I was leaning in favor of Drakus. Um, and a lot of that was really influenced um by the not only the cut which happened before the fifth round but like you know like i'm in agreement with you i had it pretty even i think going into the fifth round uh the fifth round i do believe i gave it to drakus where you said you gave it to sean but the reason for that was because of just the the pressure that drakus applied right drakus was pressuring forward um landing takedowns not necessarily doing a tremendous amount of damage but he was still kind of like it separates the two sean was out striking him but again i hate i hate how we always bring up the damage thing but i just have to remind everyone yes damage overcomes punches so this is exactly the example that they gave us during these meetings 10 jabs is not as effective as one punch and that's kind of the story of the fifth round uh, Sean Strickland was outlanding him, but they were jabs. They're jabs, jabs, jabs. They weren't fight inning. They were doing a little bit of swelling to the face, but they were jabbing him. Where Drinkus would land one powerful shot, and then he would get a takedown. So that's what would kind of separate the back and forth to me was the power of it, the aggressiveness. But again, I would not have had a problem at all if they would have called Sean's name and still because it was such a close fight and such a closely contested fight. Back and forth. And then again, the way that they ended it, the way that they kind of had that Max Holloway moment where the guys kind of said, let's just throw down, make it ugly. Whoever lands, lands. It kind of solidified that. They're like, both of these guys are having little momentum shifts. But the last 10 to 30 seconds of the fight, it was pretty equal. Both guys were landing at will or are landing an equal amount of shots. So when it was all said and done, I sat back and I go, this was close. This was very close, but was was more memorable to me was the takedowns and the bigger punches and and, and that snappy kick that Drikas has on the left side than Sean's jab. But didn't have a problem if it went either way. Fun fight. Absolutely. And, that, you know, the only the only downside of a, of a fight like that is people start having, like, revisionist history. Because the night of the fight, again, I scored a 3-2 for Sean, but I said, you know what, I have zero problem if Drakus got a 3-2. And that's the way it was. I was like, okay, cool. I got no problem with that. You know, I'd have to rewatch it. I rewatched it. Um yesterday and you know i i had the same conclusion i said you know what i could easily be see it being three two drakus and then you know we we kind of you know 48 hours later i know sean put up a post on social media today saying i won that fight the whole world knows i won that fight i'm sure drakus will say the same thing i'm not sure what he said on social media but you know and i get it like you're in the moment you're living it and you believe you won and i'm sure sean believes he did one but i think i i think my larger point here is that there's no robbery. No one got robbed in this thing. Like if, if Sean had won three, two Drakus wouldn't have a complaint and Drakus won. I don't think Sean really should have a complaint. I get it. You're a fighter. You think you won your fight. You believe you won the fight. I totally understand that mentality and you should have that mentality, but I don't think, I think what I'm getting at is like, there was no robbery here. There was no egregious scorecard. And we've seen those. Trust me. I'm the first guy in the world that will call it a bad scorecard. But there was no bad scorecard. It was a close fight. And, you know, it's unfortunate that in a close fight like that, one guy has to win, one guy has to lose. And I don't think I don't think Drake has robbed Sean Strickland. I don't think the judges robbed Sean Strickland. 
Um, it was just a close fight, and that's what's going to happen. When you have a 48-47 decision and you have a couple of rounds that can easily go either way, you can't really complain about that. No, it, it, there's definitely not a robbery there. I mean, it was just a close competitive fight. One thing, though, now that we're bringing it up uh, about scoring the rounds that I wish would have happened was, you know, I saw this morning as well the video that Sean or somebody put up showing the headbutt. So we all remember it was, I think, was it the second or third round that the, the cut happened on Sean's eye? Yeah, I, believe it was the third, I want to say it was the third round. And at the time, I thought it was an elbow. It looked like I thought Same. it was an elbow. And, and I know and that's I, what they I, said I, on the broadcast. They yeah. said an elbow. So we all were kind of led to believe it. But third round of the fight, which uh, I believe most of us did give the Drakus. But it, I was influenced by the elbow, right? You see a cut on the eye. You see a bunch of exchanges. Drakus is shooting in, taking takedown, throwing these big punches. All of a sudden, these guys come off of the fence. Sean is bleeding. Okay, something landed. But that's a tremendous amount of damage. You got a big cut over the eyelid, and he's spewing blood now. But not only the cut, the damage that we're scoring, but it affected the fight. Sean, the momentum of the fight started to shift because then – Drakus is picking up steam because he sees that blood and it kind of gives you confidence. And then Sean is kind of wiping away at the eye. He doesn't have that, that, that body language that he had in the first round. So it was a bit of momentum shift. But what I'm getting at is I wish that I, – I don't believe this happened with the judges, but normally like with a headbutt, if, if, if we knew it was a headbutt and the referee saw that it was a headbutt, he would have stopped the action. Hey, incidental headbutt, take a minute, make sure you're cool. Let, and then they'll let the judges know, hey, accidental headbutt right here, okay? You know, so don't factor that in and in terms of damage, but also do factor in that there was an accidental headbutt. So if you see blood or you see body language changing, know that it was because of an accident. It wasn't from a, um, a fair play strike. So that could have changed the things. And what I'm getting at is if the judges would have known that there was a headbutt that's caused, that caused that, maybe we would have seen Sean Strickland edge out a split decision victory in there. But we didn't know that at the time. All we did was see the damage. We saw the momentum shift coming from the headbutt. And that's why I did have kind of the momentum shift going in favor of Drigazu Plessy in a very, very close fight. Yeah, I totally agree. It's funny you say that because I wanted to mention that. Like one thing, because again, during the broadcast when they said I think it was an elbow and they, they showed the moment in the exchange, and I thought it was too. Like I thought it was a legitimate strike. Now, I do I do tend to, you know, I, I, I'm always a little skeptical sometimes when it's when the damage is cuts and things like that because we we all know cuts can happen just from a glancing blow. You may not even land a good punch just because it just happens to glance on the right side of the Scar tissue on people. Yeah. yeah get cut open. So I'm always a little hesitant to just immediately say, Oh, well, there's blood. Well, that's, that's damage. Not always. That's not always the case. But with that one, I did because I thought he clubbed him with an elbow and I was like, you just clubbed him with an elbow and he came up and he's gushing blood. That's legitimate damage. We're two days later and I'm just now seeing the video where like, Oh yeah, it looks like it was definitely a headbutt. You know, Drake is kind of raised up during an exchange. His head clashed with Sean. And you can see right after that, the blood starts flowing. I do wish, like, I know we're very, you know, in the moment, rapid fire, all these kind of things are happening, but, you know, with technology where it's at, replay where it's at, you know, I, I wish that in that moment, you know, we could tell the judges, hey, that was, a, that was yes. a clash of heads, not an elbow, so factor that into your scoring. Not saying it should, not saying the Drake still didn't win the round, but just understand, because that like again i don't think all cuts are judged equally you know again there's different kinds of cuts but that to me looked like in the moment he hit it with an elbow and i was like that's good damage that's real damage 
It wasn't, though. If it's just a headbutt, and I wish right. we would have that real-time reaction where we could tell the judges and say, look, this is what it was. Not saying, you know, it's not illegal, not, you know, but this is what happened. It was a headbutt, so don't factor that in. Because Sean's a bloody mess. You know what I mean? He's a bloody mess. And I said on Twitter, I said he's wiping his eyes, that that could absolutely affect him the rest of the fight. Maybe it did, especially in that round. But again, again I, I wish we could have that kind of real-time reaction where we could just tell these guys, like, hey, be aware, this is what's happened. I don't know that it would have changed the outcome of the fight, and I certainly don't take anything away from Drakus Duplessis. Certainly not his fault. It was an accident. He was just raising up, and Sean was coming down. They clashed heads. It happens. Yeah. But I wish that I wish that would have been factored in. At least we could have known, and the judges could have known. Because I'm watching the fight. I'm writing about the fight. I'm reacting to the fight. And I don't even know about it until two days later. I just I don't think the the truck caught it. You know what I mean? Because I think they showed an exchange after that round. Because I remember right away during the round, Sean was cut, and a couple seconds later, you heard I think John Ennick said it seems to be from an elbow. And usually when that happens, it's a producer. In our ear saying, we just saw it on tape, it's an elbow. So they're just kind of relaying the information that they got. In between rounds, I think they showed some other exchange, which led us to believe, yes, like you said, you saw something that looked like it was an elbow. But it seems like it was not the, the actual shot. It wasn't until two days later that they really dissected this fight and saw, like you're saying, when it was against the fence and Drinkus went down for a, a takedown and he raised his head up, that was the actual cut. So it's just one that slipped through the cracks. But if they would have been able to capture that actual headbutt during the round, then they could have related to John Anik. John Anik would have said it was an accidental headbutt that happened. It was, you know, complete accident. But just so you know, then they could have relayed that and shot that to the TVs or the monitors that the judges are on, and they could have factored that in. Again, this is this maybe not have even changed the course of the fight because I still believe that was one of Drikus's stronger rounds. But it's just for them to know to take that into account going into the fourth round, where now you might see Sean Trickling. Wiping the eye, not a, not 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 as um, on his toes. Because look, the one thing about cuts is not only does it visually show damage, but it takes twenty percent away from your power bar. My my last fight that I had at the Apex, I got headbutted very bad, and by you know by the end of the fight, as soon as I got out of the octagon, my eye was shut. But during the fight, I was probably about fifty percent close, and that took my power bar down. It was uh, they didn't catch it either. They called it a punch. It wore me down. That round, I believe I lost because it took that bit. Of, it was like, it's like eating a hard straight, you know, like eating a hard punch. So it takes your power bar down, even if it's an accident. So again, this is something we're just talking about that will probably honestly never change in fighting. Yes, we would love to, like what we just mentioned, if it's an accidental headbutt and the truck catches it, shoot that to the judges so they could factor things in accordingly. But at the end of the day, look, it, you can't expect the referee and judges and everybody to, to say, okay, Nate Diaz is fighting, and he's got a tremendous amount of scar tissue. He's even had things surgically repaired to reduce some of the scar tissue. So if he gets hit with a stiff jab and he opens up, it was only a 10% power jab. It wasn't a 90% power jab because he's got scar tissue. These kind of things we could talk about, but you can't really expect the judges to know each fighter that well and their previous past of, uh, of scarring or, or bleeding you know, easy. So it's something, you know, it, it's fun to talk about, but that part of the sport, you know, it won't ever, it will never change. Some people bleed more than others. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, at the end of the day, you know, regardless of the cut, regardless of how it happened, it was still a very, very close fight. And again, the cut, even with that cut, I think I'm with you. I think I scored around three for Drake. So it really didn't matter. It wasn't like that took away. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like a knockdown. If it was a knockdown off a, off a headbutt, that's a different story where you're scoring a knockdown. But I don't think it really made a difference. And again, 
you know, Sean Strickland put up a great fight. Night of, I scored it for him, but again, very close fight. But, um, and I don't know that, I don't really know that anyone was screaming robbery. I, I, and again, I understand as a fighter, when you go back and rewatch it, you know, you believe you won. And I understand that. I, again, I believed you won in the night. But there's no robbery. There's no, you know, it was a it was a, a bad decision. It was just a really, really close fight. I think we do get conditioned sometimes when we disagree with the judge's score that we start we start crying robbery when it's not. That was just a really close fight that could have gone either way, and it went Drakus's way. And you know, not his fault, and certainly not Sean Strickland's fault. But that's just the way the sport goes sometimes. And. Uh, I have no problem with the result. As they, even even though I scored it differently, I have no problem with the result because we're just talking about one round difference, and those are and there's at least two rounds in there that I could have easily slipped and gone to Drakus. So um, you know it is what it is, and I understand Sean's upset about the cut and upset about how it happened, and you know you get a chance to go back and rewatch the fight, you realize what happened in that moment, and you start thinking, man, I know I won, I know I won. And I don't know that he even necessarily says it's a robbery. He says, you know, I won the fight. The whole world knows I won the fight. I love you, Sean, but I don't think the whole world necessarily knows you won the fight. Because I think a lot of people do believe Drake has won the fight. It was just a, it was just a close fight. You know, two things that I found interesting about that whole fight and fight week. A, first off, Dana White agreed with you. You know, at the, at the post-fight press conference, they asked Dana, and he said that he thought it was 2-2 going into the last. And he thought that Sean had did enough. And I found that interesting because I found I found that very um, honest of Dana. If I'm being if I'm being honest, because realistically, if you think about the bigger picture, you would think the UFC or Dana would want Drakus to be champion because that sets up a bigger grudge match with him and Isabella Asanya. That sets up a uh, a bigger fight going to Africa, which they've talked about for years. And Dana White said this would be the year. 2024 would be the year that we break ground in Africa the first time. Now you have a South African champion. It just makes sense. But you can see at the end of the fight when Dana put the belt on Drikas Duplessis that he wasn't super happy. And I think it was just because he honestly thought that Sean had won. And I don't know what I'm getting at here, but you know how Dana is. Dana... Dana says it how it how it is, but he also is a promoter, and he has to promote what he thinks is going to be best for the company. And you would think that the Drakus winning would have been everybody's rejoicing because it sets up bigger and better matches, which makes more money at the end of the day. But um, Sean is a guy as well that we just talked about it, like his 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 uh, his uh, his stock. That's the word I was looking for about ten minutes ago. His <laughs> stock rose dramatically. In that Israel Adesanya win, which a lot of us didn't think it would happen because we're like, we had this guy here that he was kind of hit or miss sometimes in the UFC. He's lost a couple at welterweight. Then he jumps up to middleweight. He lost to Jared Cannonier. He lost to some guys. He got knocked out by Alex Pajeda. If he becomes champion, does it really make sense? Does it really feel like we have the best fighter on planet Earth at 185 pounds with the gold around his waist? I think a lot of people were skeptical about it. So I don't know if the UFC really was ready to back that. But Sean has shown that he's legit, and he has shown that people can get on board with him, even though he went over there to Canada. <laughs> I mean, he somehow won the crowd over. I don't even know what was happening. Like, those interviews, it seemed like he was saying some crazy things when he had that one-on-one with the reporter, and it was kind of making him uh, just go the wrong direction when he was starting to get in all this stuff about the gays and this and that. But then he wins them back right away, talking about how GSP never fought for you, but I'm fighting for you. And all of a sudden, they want to run up on stage and get and shake his hand. So it was like 
he has a way of relating with the average consumer. And I think the UFC has kind of recognized that. But the other thing I just want to say real quick, Damien, before we move on uh, on another topic or about this was um, I thought it was very big um, and it showed a lot of character on the part of Drikas Duplessis in that exchange that we saw in Embedded. Coming up and shaking the hand of Sean Strickland and saying, you know what, man, water under the bridge, brother. We could be cool. I won't bring it up again. Because really, this is the biggest opportunity of Drikas Duplessis' career. And he's the one person that found a way to get into the head of Sean Strickland, the guy that gets into the head of everybody and says all kinds of crazy stuff and somewhat crosses the line. And now he found a way to somewhat cross the line on Sean Strickland. That could have been the trigger right there. He could have stayed on that the entire fight week and just had Sean Strickland flustered and not fighting like himself. But he said, you know what? I'll let bygones be bygones, man. I'm going to steer away from this. It's going to be respect. It's going to be about competitiveness. It's going to be about let's go out there and put on a war for everyone rather than going back to Sean Strickland's past, which really would have triggered him. And I think that would have been the biggest, it would have been Conor McGregoring like what he did to everybody else. Conor McGregor would win the fight before because he's in everybody's head. He could have played that game against Sean Strickland and he chose not to. So I've got to give Drake credit on that one, man. He showed a lot of character in that build up to the fight. I totally agree. Absolutely agree. And again, even though going back to the scoring, even though I scored the fight for Sean Strickland, I did pre one thing I did. Dana White did say afterwards. I appreciate it. Again, he said, I scored the fight for Sean Strickland as well. And somebody said, what about, you know, the immediate rematch? And he said, you know, that's just not really what we're thinking about. Cause I, I think we do get drawn into too many of these immediate rematches that shouldn't happen. You know, I, I think rarely like immediate rematches should only happen under a couple of very specific circumstances. Of course, a draw, like what we saw with Devis and Figueredo and Brandon Moreno. Of course, they're going to run that back. Uh, or like an egregiously bad. Yeah, Alexa Grasso and, and Valentina Shevchenko. Or an egregiously bad scorecard like we saw years ago with Shogun and Leota Machida, which was so bad. Like everyone knew that should have gone the other way, and so they ran it back. Or on the final one is, you know, just an incredibly long-reigning champion. You know, you, you dethrone... Demetrius Johnson or Anderson Silva and Chris Weidman did it. Of course you deserve an immediate rematch. But this whole, like, it was a close fight, so we got to run it back again. Like, come on. Sean became champion four months ago. Like, let's slow down. It was a close fight. Let's slow down on the immediate rematch stuff. And and again, you know, the, the slam dunk is right there in front of us. It's the Dracus and Israel Adesanya fight because yes. that's what we were supposed to have last year when Dracus couldn't fight after beating Robert Whitaker and he couldn't turn around and fight two months later and fight Israel in Australia. So don't mess this up. I don't think the UFC is going to mess this up. It's Israel. It's out of, it's Israel and Drakus. And I, my idea, why not do Strickland against Hamzad? That seems like a natural fit. Hamzad's sitting out right now. I know he's, you know, he's supposed to be the number one contender. Let's be honest. I love, he, I mean, he barely beat Kamaru Usman on a week's notice. And Kamaru is not even a, a middleweight. Let him get one more legitimate win. And you either do one or two things there. You either let Hamzat cement himself as the number one contender or Strickland knocks off the golden boy and becomes immediately right back in title contention. Yeah. I think that's that's my match, Reagan. Let me put you know play Sean Shelby and uh, Mick Maynard here right now. So if I'm in the war room with you matching that, I'm saying, you know what? I think we have one name on the board that, that we both agree on, and that's Hamzat Shemaev. I'm not going with Strickland, though, man. I'm going with Robert Whitaker. I'm thinking that's the guy. Does Robert have a fight on the books he's right fighting, now? Uh, he's fighting Paulo Costa next month. Oh, he is yeah, fighting yeah, Paulo yeah, Costa. Yeah. 
that takes that away. But that's a fight that I would like to see because I think we keep talking about Hamza Shemaev possibly fighting for the belt, but he hasn't done enough. As you just said, he had one fight against uh, a welterweight in Usman. We need to see more. So that fight does make sense. But he needs to fight somebody up up the ranks. Um, and that's why I was going with Robert Whitaker. But Polo Costa makes sense as well. Um, and as you said, they have the UFC has the money fight made out now, right? They've got Drake Duplessis, the South South African champion. They got the former champion, Isabel Adesanya, the African fighter. It, they're talking about going to Africa. I, you know what? I, I honestly, my goal, my goal, what I was hoping was that Drikas or one of these guys would win and then call out Israel Asanya, and that would be the main event at 300, right? I think that's what we all kind of hope for because a lot of us are still kind of hoping, what's the big secret fight that's going to happen at 300? But Damon, if I'm being honest, I'm over it now. I'm over it. I don't think we need this superstar match that nobody could have thought of or there's a last-minute put-together type of thing. We don't need that anymore. At least I don't need it. 300? I've come to terms with UFC 300 is now just going to be one of these cards that from top to bottom is superb fights, superb matchmaking, bangers left and right. It's not going to have the Ronda Rousey's, Rousey's or the Brock Lesnar's, and I don't think we're going to have this super fight turnaround last minute with Israel Adesanya and Drew Duplessis, especially with UFC's Africa looming in the distance. We're talking about going to Africa. Why would we take the two African fighters that could be the biggest fight and not have that in Africa? So I think that's the fight that happens now. But I do think that if they could get Chemayev on 300 somehow against possibly, like you said, that would be pretty quick turnaround for Sean Strickland as if after he just did a quick turnaround for his title defense. But to get Chemayev on 300, I think would cement it as a solid card. And oh, by the way, Here's a superstar in Chamayev, a guy that everybody wants to see watch no matter who he's fighting. I think that would add to it. But as far as trying to make other stuff happen, I'm okay with it. Because at the end of the day, the UFC needs to make entertaining fights throughout the year. And the more I think about it, do you really want all the best fighters and the best fights and the best matchups and the best title defenses to all go on 300? And then when we go to some other place like Saudi Arabia or like South Africa... And we go, oh, this is a decent card. No, I'd rather have it kind of evenly distributed where we had these banger fights throughout the year and say, oh, by the way, UFC 300 didn't have any uh, superstar names on it, but damn, <laughs> fight 1 through 15 were fire. So that's where I'm at with it now with 300. Yeah, not to get too far off the subject, but I'm with you. Listen, I, and if they could, listen, if you can do Dracus and Israel Adesanya, I think Africa would be the better choice, but... If they're both healthy and they want to do it at 300 and headline a big mega card like that and they want to do it, I'm okay with that. You add on that. Leon and Bilal, I think we all know that's kind of coming down the pipe. Seems like that's going to happen at 300. Then, of course, you already have uh, Zhang Weili and, and Yan Nan. That would be a, th a triple header title fight. Boom. That's a great card. And they're stacking it where, like, the opening prelim is going to be like Cody Garbrandt against Devis and Figueredo. Like, that's how much they're going to stack this card. I'm Amazing fine with that. Fight. And one thing you mentioned there, and Dana said this last week, and I get it. Like we all, like we all had this weird mythical idea in our head: the UFC 300 was going to be this insane, wild, crazy card. And you look at UFC 100; you had Brock Lesnar and George St. Pierre on there. You had UFC 200; John Jones originally was going to fight Daniel Cormier. You had Brock Lesnar on there. Big, big card. Brock Lesnar coming out was like a rabbit out of the hat. No one saw that coming. 
UFC 300, everyone's like, oh, it's going to be this. I had people saying it's going to be Ronda Rousey against Gina Carano. It's going to be Brock Lesnar coming back. It's going to be George St. Pierre, Khabib. And Dana kind of laughed when someone asked him last week and said, no, that was never. Listen, I had a thought about this. And when Dana, I don't agree with everything Dana says. Let me be clear about that. But what Dana said is absolutely true. Brock Lesnar is about to be 47. Do we really yeah. want to see Brock Lesnar at 47 fighting Tom Aspinall or something? Ronda Rousey hasn't fought since 2016. It's been seven going on eight years since Ronda Rousey. And the last time I was at her last fight did not end well for her at all against Amanda Nunes. George, George St. Pierre has been retired since 2017 as well when he fought Michael Bisping. We got to let go of this. Like, what's the next? We're going to bring back Chuck Liddell? Are we, oh, Chuck Liddell's going to fight Tito in the US. Like, let it go. Like, I I love that there's these big, huge names that we all love and adore. But do you really want to see Ronda Rousey at 36, having fought for almost eight years? Do you really want to see her back in the UFC? Like, are we really that desperate to see her back? No. Do we really want to see a 47-year-old Brock Lesnar come back and fight? At this stage, you know, like, like I liked what Dana said, and I agree. Like, yes, would we all love these huge mythical fights? Sure, but maybe I'd like it better, you know, seven years ago, not now. Like, let it go. We don't need to see Ronda Rousey back in the UFC. I agree. I agree. I mean, some of these names that they were dropping, just realistically, they don't make any sense. They don't make any sense. Now, the one super fight that I don't know that it even makes sense, but you know what? If we're doing it for the fans and the fighters are willing to do this, then I'm okay with this. I'm okay to get on board with this. And that one is the one that they were kind of teasing that I don't know if this is even real. Okay. I don't even know if this is crazy, but the Tom Aspinall versus Alex Bejeda going up to heavyweight and taking them on. If they drop that fight and they put that on UFC 300, that would be huge. That is one that everybody would start drooling over, right? And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I think it's sacrificing a great fighter in Alex Pajeda because I don't think he stands a chance as much as I love Alex Pajeda. Tom Aspinall, to me, is the baddest man walking planet Earth right now. And for him to go up and challenge somebody that big and that strong with that type of boxing and ground game, I don't think it would be a pretty night for him. But my goodness... That would have a lot of people tuning in to see that type of matchup. And that's some big names. And, and Tom Aspinall could headline the card. I mean, he's the name Alex Bejeda. These are two champions. I mean, that would just cement it. And it kind of makes sense for Tom Aspinall because, you know, now he's waiting. That We don't really know where he's going because of the Tom John Jones fight and Stipe. He kind of doesn't really know where to go. I just, he, he I, I thought Tom Aspinall said, he's like, look, I'm not a bully. Uh, but if they want, if he wants to fight me, I'll take this fight. I'll go out there and take it. So I think... The ball is in his court with that possible fight. Again, this could just be rumors or whatever, but I'm just throwing things out there. That's a much more reasonable matchup than any of these guys that have been retired for five or seven years. And when I said the word balls in somebody's court, I think everything happening right now in the middleweight division, it all falls on the back of Israel Adesanya. The ball's in his court. The ball's in Israel Adesanya's court because if he wants to come back and fight and he wants to fight Drikas Duplessis, that's the fight to make. If he doesn't want to fight Drikas Duplessis, then I think, yeah, then then I think you give Sean Strickland another fight. I, I, I don't want to see another Jared Cannonier fighting just yet. I don't think, you know, Robert Whitaker has a fight, but he's already lost to a lot of these guys, um, even though he was, a, you know, a phenomenal champion. Um, but... Uh, it's Israel Adesanya's decision. Am I going to sit around for another year or am I going to come 
come, come back and fight. And then that's the fight to make. But um, yeah, I know, I know I'm kind of jumping around. Sorry about that. But 300 crazy names. If you're going to give me one crazy one, give me that one. Give me Tom Aspinall and Alex Pajeda. I like that idea as well. And listen, I, if there's one thing I've learned covering Alex Pereira over the last couple of years is don't doubt that guy. You know what I mean? Like, don't doubt him. And I agree. Tom Aspinall, in theory, should be a really bad matchup. Too big, too strong, all those kind of things. But who knows? Like I said, you know, Alex Pereira has continued to prove people wrong and do things he's not. He's not supposed to. He's not supposed to knock out Israel Adesanya in like his seventh MMA fight. That shouldn't happen. But he did. You know, he should knock out Yuri Prohoshka in like his 10th fight and his like fifth fight in the UFC. That shouldn't happen. It did. So, yeah, like if you're going to give me a quote unquote super fight, that's one I would be on board for. It'd be a lot of fun. And, you know, does Alex risk something? Yeah, of course. You can get knocked out and you risk something. But if he loses to Tom Aspinall, is anyone going to say, oh, man, your stock really dropped because you lost to a heavyweight? No. And then who right. knows? Maybe he does catch him. Maybe he does clip him and knock him out. And he just says, you know, I'm just going to go on the full on, you know, I'm going to eat everything I can eat and get up to heavyweight and do it. Why not? But again, my my larger point here is that like, I would be down for that fight. I would also be down for Dracus and Israel if they can make that quick of a turnaround. I certainly don't think Dracus should be forced into that because it is three months, literally three months away. But yeah, like we got to let go of this idea that we need some weird gargantuan, you know, out of nowhere announcement that like Ronda Rousey is going to fight Gina Carano to save the card. We don't need that. Like, give me, if you give me, hypothetically, if you give me Dracus and Israel and you give me Bilal and Leon, what's already on the card, I'm happy. I don't need anything else. I don't need you, you to throw throw everything else on the uh, under the sun on there. I don't really have interest in seeing a lot of those fights people are throwing out there. Are if Drigas Duplessis and Israel Adesanya don't jump on 300 and it's headlined by Bilal and Leon, are you happy? Yeah, I'm fine with it. I remember, it's not, it, I, I remember, I remember years ago. Do you remember that card? I can't remember what number it was. It was a card. I remember because it was in September. And I remember I went to the card. The main event was Demetrius Johnson and I want to say it was Chris Carriasso. I think it was the fight, but the undercard was like Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, and I think Cowboy was on there. And there was like four or five really good fights. The main event just wasn't spectacular. We all kind of forgot that it was Demetrius and Chris Carriasso was the main event. But the undercard was insane. It was a great card. I, I want I, – I, maybe, maybe I'm in the minority, but I really want Leon and Bilal. And, and throw that on there as a main event, and then they've already stacked the card. Like you're getting Justin Gaethje and Max Holloway. You're getting – Devison Figueredo, Cody Garber. You're getting Bo Nickel coming back. You're getting a lot. You know, Aljamain Sterling making his featherweight debut. I'm fine with that. I don't think you need like this superstar. I think it's the opposite. If you're going to put, you know, the biggest fight ever on the card, like you're going to do Jones and Stipe, I don't need a jacked undercard because we're getting Jones and Stipe. Like I'm fine with if you have like a kind of a okay undercard. Here we're getting maybe the greatest card ever on paper, and maybe we don't have the marquee main event. I'm fine with that. Damon, does does Holloway Gaethje BMF title headline over the women's flyweight bout or or sorry strawweight uh, strawweight? Yeah, that's a good question. It's not a real title, so I guess not, but. Is my and, and traditionally for our viewers, the bigger the weight class, yeah, headlines, right? But it's, yeah. it's not a real title, so. But to I speak. mean, and I mean, and I mean this with the. I mean, I have nothing but the utmost respect for Zhang Weili and, and Yan Zhanan. Like they deserve the spot, but 
Am I more interested in Gaethje Holloway? Yeah, I am. Like, yeah. I'm more yeah. interested in that fight. So, yeah, I, I don't think you can, though, because we got to be honest. Like, there's no legitimacy to the BMF title. Like, it's fun, yeah. and I'm glad they're doing it. I think it's a fun fight, but, yeah, you can't. I mean, you know, it's It'll not It'll be interesting real. to see how they line that one up, right? I know they're going to get some. Either way, they're going to get some shit, right? Because if they put the BMF ahead of it, everybody's going to secretly kind of be happy, but be pissed off. Oh, the women don't get any credit. This is even a, they're going to say, this is some made up title. This is some bullshit title. You guys are making it up, but they're secretly going to be happy. Like we're giving you guys what you want, but you're mad at us right now. But if the girls headline it, you're like, you kidding me? You're giving this, 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 this girl fight over the bad, the BMF, the two baddest dudes in you. Like nobody's going to be happy. So they got to do whatever they got to do. I mean, you can't win it. You can't um, make everyone happy in this thing, but, um, yeah, and like- then again, Bilal, Bilal and Leon, I think, is a guaranteed fight. Um, I think people, if that is the headliner, um, I don't think people will be happy, but I think that it's a fight core, like you just said, that makes sense. You see title fight, title fight, BMF fight, Cody Garbrandt. I mean, all these names, all these matchups, it's like this is a phenomenal night of fights. It just doesn't have that one superstar. And again, I don't want to uh, keep, Repeating myself, but I think, you know, the Tom Aspinall Pajeda fight, that would be the mystery fight, the super fight, the thing that makes everybody happy. And you can still have Israel Adesanya and Duplessis in Africa. And then uh, I think everybody wins in that. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it reminds me a little bit of 200 because I was there that week and I remember John Jones had the positive drug test and his fight with Daniel Cormier gets canceled and they immediately shifted Brock Lesnar and Mark Hunt to the main event. And then everyone panicked and freaked out and said, no, no, hold on. And they made it the co-main event with Amanda Nunes and Misha Tate ended up being the actual main event because they were going to put Brock Lesnar in a non-title fight as the main event. Now, above the girls title fight. Yeah. Now, was Brock Lesnar, Mark Hunt, the bigger fight? Yes. Brock Lesnar is one of the biggest names ever in the sport, but they kind of reacted to the backlash and they put Amanda and Misha. And I don't even know if a lot of people remember that that was the main event that night. The UFC 200 main event was Misha Tate against Amanda Nunes. Um but again, that's just so I don't think I don't think the UFC would do that to to the strawweights. But you know, if I'm being honest, like I'm not lying, I would say yeah, I'm more interested in Gaethje Holloway because that's a freaking amazing fight. But you know, there's plenty of fights. Uh, you know, there's plenty of fights that have been over top of others based on you know, I mean, you know, the interim title at uh, two ninety six or four, whatever number it was, with uh, Aspinall and Pavlovich. That was technically the co-main event because they were fighting for an interim underneath Pereira and and Prohoshka because they were fighting yeah. for the real title. So I you know, I think they'll end up putting the strawweights where they're gonna be on that card, but you know, I don't think we're done yet. I, I do anticipate we're gonna get Leon and Bilal on that card and I'm excited about that. I tweeted it out on Saturday night, Bilal had that great moment on TV where they showed him in the crowd and he held up the phone that said, I'm gonna bully you son. I thought that was hilarious. Um I'm really looking forward to that one. I know a lot of people are not. I don't understand why. I think it's a great fight, and uh, they're stacking this card. Like I said, UFC is going to be great. This, you know, people need to calm the hell down. Yeah, I just don't understand why they're waiting so long, right? I mean, this is the fight that was the first fight on people's minds when it came to yeah. 300, um, just in terms of timeline and the absolute. It's the fight that when you look at the welterweight division or you look at any other division, you say, who's next in line for the champ? This is the one fight that I think everybody's in agreement on and says, this is the next guy to fight. And we've been knowing that for a couple of fights, but now there's no more people. You can't throw any random Kobe Covingtons out there anymore. Bilal is the guy. Leon defended the belt. This is the fight. The timeline makes sense. We need another title fight. Bing, bang, boom. They just haven't announced it yet, which is a little scary. 
Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. And we know Shavkat's injured, too. If we're going to th- you know, throw him in the mix, he's injured. Deal with an ankle injury, he's not too ready. So don't, you know, let's just do it. I, I don't know. Maybe they're just waiting to do like a big bang-bang combo. They want to announce that along with another title fight and do it at the same time. I have no idea. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think that's the one. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Um, you mentioned Yan Xiaonan and, and, and Zhang Wei Li, which is the one title fight we do know that's at 300. Of course, we all kind of anticipate it's going to be Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko at some point later this year. We don't know when that's going to be. It depends on you know when everyone's healthy and ready to go. But on Saturday night, we did see a new bantamweight champion get crowned as Raquel Pennington beat Myra Bueno Silva, a fighter. I think a lot of people were super high on going into that fight after she, whether it's on her record or not, she beat Holly Holm in a very impressive fashion, which is not easy to do. But and I let me be clear when I say this. I'm certainly not trying to diminish Raquel Pennington's achievement. Amazing achievement. Anytime you become a UFC champion, it's special. But we talked about Ronda Rousey earlier. It is wild to me. That 2016, Ronda Rousey, Conor McGregor are neck and neck, the two biggest stars in our sport. You could argue at one point it was Ronda, at one point it was Conor. They were going back and forth. Ronda loses to Holly, one of the most shocking moments in UFC history. She comes back. Amanda Nunes lays waste to her. Ronda's gone. Amanda Nunes becomes the person. She is the, you know, the man, for lack of a better word. She is the man. She goes out there, just wrecks shop, beats every person who's ever held a belt, beats Chris Cyborg. She becomes the person. Then she retires. That was June of last year. We've now waited seven months to crown a new champion. Alan, I'm being honest here. And again, don't want to take anything away from Raquel Pennington. What in the hell happened to the women's bantamweight division? That was the marquee division. That was the division. And now... It's a wasteland. Like, it is just not, like, there's nobody there. Like, it's weird. There was a while, well, maybe even still, where the men's light heavyweight division just made no sense, right? It's when John Jones left and then DC went up and all these things happened and it's just, 
new champ after new champ and all the things that had happened with the draws and the no contests and this and that. And, and the division makes no sense. There's not any clear-cut contender or superstar. Obviously, Pajeda now came in and were the goal. But now, we look at the women's division, the Bantamweights, and uh, he said a pretty good one. It's a wasteland. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what, what do we do? You know, it, it is crazy to me that when you look at the top 15 in that division, the biggest star in that division is Juliana Pena because she could talk it. And she's the one that realistically, when we talk about Pena, she's tough. She's tough, but you can't just have a champion that's tough and kind of now has a gimmick where she likes to talk trash. So it does make it more entertaining than some of the girls that aren't used or aren't as polished in the PR department. It's selling fights. But I mean, like when you think about, okay, she shocked the world. She beat Amanda Nunes, Juliana Pena. They came back and had a rematch, and we kind of saw what reality looks like in that five-round beatdown. It really was. It was a beatdown for five, 25 minutes. It was it was almost hard to watch. Um, and now she could be the next champion. You know, I mean, she, 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 her and Rocky are set to fight. Rocky been through highs and lows in her career, but it, there's no stars in the division. There's nobody that technically just just stands out or has something about them that's special. It's just that those people are gone. So now the people that were the, the middle of the division are at the top of the division. And I think the belt's just going to be changing hand one after another, after another, after another. And really, I looked deep down. I tried to look, and, I, and, I, and I'm looking at the rest of the division, the top 15, trying to find some spark, some glimmer of hope, right? Like, who's on there? I mean... Holly Holmes, number six. Irene Aldana, she had a, a shot. Uh, Ketlin Vieira. I mean, there's there's nobody on there, Damon. There's nobody on there. Misha Tate's, you know, in the top 15. Love Misha, but, you know, her time has came and passed. And the division, I think, is in shambles for a while. And we're going to have to find a way to correct that or find some new stars to emerge. Um, because otherwise, it's going to be title fights where they're going to be the title fight and nobody's going to have any interest. You're going to have to throw some type of um, guy fight on there to make people want to buy a pay-per-view. Yeah. I mean, listen, Juliana Pena talks to talk and she does have a win over Amanda Nunes. And of course that's impressive, but you mentioned the rematch. Like it kind of reminds me of, you know, again, you know, I have tons of respect for him, but it kind of reminds me of junior DeSantis going out there, knocking out Kane Velasquez. They rematch and Kane just beats the brakes off him twice in a row. Like it was just ugly. Like it got uncomfortable at moments watching Kane beat up Junior, who was just just super tough and would not go away. But Kane was just absolutely battering him for twenty five minutes on two separate occasions. Uh, that's what we saw in the rematch. We saw an Amanda Nunez. I think got a little cocky. A man, you know, Juliana Pena caught her. Rematch showed the real Amanda Nunez that she absolutely beat the brakes off Juliana Pena. And, and I say this all the time, Juliana Pena. At the end of the day, she talks a great talk. She's three and two in her last five fights in five years. That's how many fights she's had in five years is five fights. She's three and two, and Juliana Pena does not hold a single win over anybody on the current active UFC roster. Not one. Not a single win. Her last three wins, her last three wins, Amanda Nunes, which again, that is that is a good win. Sarah McMahon, who is 43 and not in the UFC anymore, and Nico Montano. Remember Nico Montano? That's that's one of her three wins in the last five years. 
that's a problem. Like, that's a problem. You can talk all the talk you want, but that's a problem. And then you mentioned, like, at least at light heavyweight, as chaotic as it's been, you did have legitimate prospects like a Jamal Hill or when Yuri Prohoshka came over and did what he did to Dominic Reyes and things like that. And Dominic Reyes was a good case. You know, after almost, you know, almost beating John Jones, you had a couple guys in there you could look at and say there. And then, of course, Alex coming up out of kind of nowhere and doing what he did. We don't have that at Bantamweight. There's not one fighter in this division that I can look at and say, I'm excited. There's one in the top 15. There's one fighter, Carol Hosa, who's not 30. One fighter wow. in the entire top 15 who's not under, who's under 30. It's Carol Hosa. It's wild to me. And I think a big part of the problem is, is that when, B, when the UFC introduced the, the flyweight division, a lot of the bantamweights who could have been good said, I'm actually a flyweight. Like Valentina Shevchenko, I think, would be the bantamweight champion right now. But she's a natural flyweight. And so she's stuck at flyweight. You know what I mean? And then I said this on the podcast going into the card. I said, I think the biggest star in the division, those bigger divisions, would be Kayla Harrison. But she fights in a division that doesn't exist. Featherweight doesn't exist for women. It doesn't. There's two really good fighters. There's three really good fighters of featherweight. Larissa Pacheco. Chris Cyborg and Kayla Harrison. That's it. Like that's the, so it's, it's a weird position because Rhonda's gone. Misha's not what she once was. Holly's 41 and you know, not, you know, age catches up to everyone. This division is unreal for what it was. Like when you think about where, where it was with Rhonda and Holly and Misha and all these fighters. And now there's nobody like there's no John Jones prospect. There's no Yuri Prohoshka prospect. There's no Jamal Hill prospect. There's nothing, man. And I'm not trying to diminish what Raquel Pennington did. Congratulations. Happy for her. But you said something very telling. You said the fighters in the middle are now at the top. Is Raquel Pennington, Juliana Pena, Myra Bray, are they really the best in the world? Or are they best because everyone else is gone? <laughs> That's a problem. That's a problem. We're going to have to figure this out. I don't think the fans going to be very happy with some of the uh, title fights or main events that we're going to be getting. And again, I keep, I just keep scrolling for it, looking for something. I look at number 15, right? Chelsea, Chelsea Chandler. Uh, remember she's five and two. I mean, she's got seven professional fights under her belt and she's number 15 in the world. And then a lot of the girls above her, you know, they only have 10 or 11 fights and you see girls like Misha Tate. She's number 11. Misha knows how to play the game, but again, she's on the other end of her career right now. She's a star. Everybody loves her. She's a sweetie. You know, I think her time has probably came and gone, and I think we all realize that she's a name. But other than Misha Tate, Juliana Pena is the only one that's going to be able to get on the microphone and roast somebody. See, Juliana Pena is the only one that's going to get on a microphone and try to sell a fight worth watching, even though you might not care about the fight, but you're going to care about the back and forth, right? The intrigue. How do you build a fight if it's not the two best fighters in the world or believably the two best fighters, at least create some intrigue. But Juliana Pena is the only one. I mean, Raquel Pennington, she's a sweetheart as well. But, I mean, you know, she's not out there. She's not going to throw some bottles, and she's not going to say something disrespectful to her opponent as much as you're going to say, look, I have a daughter now. I'm, 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 I have this new purpose in life. You know, uh, we interviewed her uh, at the fight night a couple weeks ago. And lead up to this fight, and uh, and she had one of the best interviews I think we, that she's had and in, 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 throughout her career, to be honest. I mean, she was just very focused and determined. And I remember we got done talking to her and going, "That was a good Raquel Pennington interview, actually." I mean, she had us 
just believing she's a new person. But I don't think it gets higher than that. I think that's the ceiling on it, you know, that she has a kid now. She's she's married and she's focused on this. But fans are only going to grab onto that for so long when, when they're forced to put $80 to buy a pay-per-view on a fight like this. So, yeah, Bantamweight division, we've got some work to do. We need some new stars to emerge very soon in the UFC. Yeah, it's it's like you don't want to be the champion that gets the title shot because everyone else is gone. Like, And I think that's the problem. Like, even Myra Bueno Silva, as impressive as she was against Holly Holm, she was kind of the one you thought maybe could be the prospect, and then she goes out there and loses to Raquel. And we all remember the visual of what happened when Raquel fought Amanda. She got absolutely just demolished in that fight. It wasn't even close. And Amanda's gone now. And so you're kind of like, is that really like is that really the 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 the, the world we want to build on in this division? That, you know, because Amanda's gone now, you know, Pennington gets her shot, Pena gets her shot again. It's just it's ugly. And I know Amanda Nunes hinted on Saturday night, like she kind of said, you know, we'll see. You know, I, I'm still a fighter, still feel like a champion. Uh, I don't know if her coming back would really save much. I mean, I think, you know, it would be a big fight if Amanda Nunes comes back. But the problems in this division go far deeper than Amanda Nunes returning or not for returning from retirement because there's just no prospects. There's no – you don't have a Yuri Prohoshka. You don't have a Jamal Hill. You don't have an Alex Perea. You don't have any of these guys in, in, in women's bantamweight. You don't have anybody there. Like – legitimately the most exciting thing you could do right now is hope that Valentina Shevchenko comes back to its weight and Valentina Shevchenko's in her 30s and she's been around forever like you have no there's no exciting prospect you know coming up and you can you can say that about every other division you can look at Armin Saruki and you know you can look at Ilya Taporia when he was coming up you can look at Umar Nurmagomedov band. you can look at every and even flyweight you can look at prospects women's flyweight you can look at prospects there you look at even strawweight you can't say that with band, women's bantamweight. There's nobody. There's not a single prospect you're looking at. Alan, if you, I, I said, I'll pay you a million dollars if you can peg one fighter right now in the bantamweight division who you think is going to be a star for three years from now, you'd probably <laughs> concede and say, well, I'm not making a million dollars. Don't put me on the spot with that one. I don't, <laughs> I don't want that question. It's a tough spot, man. It's a tough spot. And like you said, even if Amanda was to come out of retirement, yeah, it'd give a little, like, a little, little bump, right? Oh, okay, that's exciting news. But look doesn't fix the division because even when Amanda was here, it was Amanda fighting the next girl online, the next girl online, the next girl online. Now there's no Amanda. It's just the next girl online is the champion. And I think that the belt's going to just change hands for a while. And we're not going to see any dominant champions or anybody that's really going to sell any pay-per-views for sure. Yeah. I think if the UFC smart, they go out and they scout USA wrestling and they start looking at girls who can wrestle at near 135 pounds and say, do you want to fight MMA? Cause you got a real shot here. We need a bow nickel. You know, we need somebody to come in and get you excited. Cause right now, again, I like Raquel Pennington. I've, I've interviewed her a couple of times. I know I've known Tisha Torres better more than I've known Raquel, but incredibly nice person. It's nothing against her. But, you know, I think if, I think in, in, you know, when she was in the division, when Rhonda was around, she's been in the division when Amanda was around, she was always like that number five, number six fighter. And that's not what we're looking for for a champion. You want the number one best in the world. And that's what you said is brilliant. The middle has become the best because the best are gone. <laughs> you know, that's kind of where we're at now. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only thing that could help during this time until we find that new type of star or that new fighter that could do that for us or become a champion 
they might have to do some super fights. I mean, if some of these flyweights want to choose to go up and, and contest for the title, because uh, the, some of the flyweight divisions, the Manol Fiores or the, um, you know, the, 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 as you said, the Bullet, Shevchenko, um, they've got some girls there that are very believable. Um, there's not as many believable star champions as we have in the Bantamweights. I like the idea last year. I interviewed her about it. Aaron Blanchfield wanted to come up and fight Juliana Pena for the vacant title. And the UFC didn't go that route. But I was like, there you go. That's something. I was interested in that fight. I was like, okay, you, you piqued my interest. Aaron Blanchfield's legit. Didn't happen. You know, we moved on. But yeah, like that, I think you're right. Like that's kind of what we're going to, because that's a division that actually has legit prospects. Like Aaron Blanchfield's the real deal. You know, you look at, you know, Tatiana Suarez at 115. She's the real deal. We need somebody like that at Bantamweight because right now there is nobody. Um, and I don't want to diminish again. Congratulations to Raquel Pennington. Incredible performance to get it done against a very tough Myra yeah. Buena Silva. But, yeah, it's almost like we're defaulting celebrating because she's got a title, not because we really truly believe she's absolutely the best in the world. She's just dominated the competition and, and you know, deserves to be there. And, again, that's just the reality of it. Um it- Go ahead, go ahead. No, I, say, I, I, just, I just, I just think that's, I just think that's, you know, not to, I don't want to keep banging the, on a dead horse here, yeah. but I'm just being honest. Like, I think that's just what I, we're dealing with now. And, and, I, and I'm in complete agreement. Like, I, so much respect for these women. And, and I talked to Rocky the other day, and like I said, she had a great interview, and um, she seems like in a new place in her career. But she, she, you said it already. You know, she was a girl that when the other top girls in her division, she was somewhere in the middle. Now that they're out. She's at the top. And so we just need to figure these things out. You know, it reminds me of a little bit, almost like a Neil Magny. You know, a Neil Magny, a little transition right there. Somebody that uh, was always kind of known as that gatekeeper. You know, he breaks records. He's a tough dude. You can't ever count him out. Um, and, and that's kind of who Rocky was until that the people in front of her are gone. So speaking on Neil Magny, that was a fight that I think they were building the Canadian star in Mallet. You know I mean? They were trying to build him up, and he's a great fighter, and he's a finisher. You know, the problem with these finishers is, though, Damon, when you never see a judge's decision, you don't know what it's like to be in those deep waters, right? And Neil Magny's a guy that lives in those deep waters. You can't ever count him out. Traditionally, if Neil Magny can outgrapple you, he wins the fight. If you could outgrapple Neil Magny, he loses the fight. And this was a fight that Neil Magny was in trouble early in this fight. He was he was getting beat up on. It looked like the fight was going to be over. But he was able to survive and get it to those later rounds. And then he used his grappling where he can get on top. And Neil Magny comes back with this spectacular comeback finish. And I remember just tweeting Neil Magny with a bunch of exclamation points. Like, this dude, you can never count this guy out, man. He's a guy that, although he hasn't been able to ever been able to break into that like number one contender type guy. I don't even know if he's been in the top five yet. But he has lived in the top 15 and fought everybody, the toughest competition. And to go out and take out a tough prospect like that in their backyard in the late rounds, a comeback type fight, it was just a classic Neil Magny performance. It really was super impressive. And, and I think we all knew what that fight was. It was very much like, you know, again, I know he took the fight on short notice, but it was just like when they gave Shavkat to Neil Magny and then they gave Ian Gary to Neil Magny. They were fights that you're trying to see is this because Neil Magny, I, I know the word gatekeeper, it depends on how you use the word gatekeeper. I think gatekeeper can be used as an insult, but I also, also think it's a, it can be a compliment under the right circumstances. If you're a guy who's just constantly floating around number eight, nine, ten in the division and you're the, you're the, you're the measuring stick to know if somebody's actually really good or if they're going to be, a, you know, maybe a, just a top 15 fighter. And again, 
Tons and tons of fighters never make it to the top 15. So there's no shame in that. But we all kind of knew what this was. You know, he lost to Shavkat. Shavkat now goes on, and now he's one of the top you know, two, three guys in the world. Ian Gary, short notice or not, went out there, beat up Neil Magny. We all kind of we all kind of gained some legitimacy for Ian Gary because he beat Neil Magny. That's a real win. Mike Mallott, Mike Mallett, that guy was the next one. He's the, the Canadian star. He's kind of the best prospect. Put him on a main card of a pay-per-view. Get through Neil Magny. You're going to be top 10. You're going to start getting those big fights. Maybe we talk about bringing back a fight night to Canada, and it's a main event. And then... He goes into those deep waters, as you say, and he just didn't have it in the gas tank to keep going. And Neil Magny, ultimate dog, would not go away, reversed him. When he fell for that guillotine, I was like, this is going to end badly for him. He went for that guillotine. He fell to the ground. Neil got on top of him, and he was absolutely dog-tired, exhausted. And Neil just blasted away at him. Good stoppage. Uh, I think the referee did a good job at the stoppage, and... You know, it's, it kind of reminds me a little bit, this is years ago, but it, like when, when Neil Magny fought Kelvin Gastelum and Kelvin, you know, started strong. But if you don't put him away, man, Neil Magny will keep coming. He will keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. And I think this is a fight. Like Mike Malott could end up being a very good fighter, but he's not there yet. And I think that's what this fight proves. He wasn't there yet. And, and Neil Magny's the testing stick. And look, you said like a lot of fighters... I never made it to the top 15, so I got respect for Neil Magny, a guy that's lived there for 10 years. I mean, the guy's been in the top 15 fighting the best guys in the world. It, 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 it He's just the best measuring stick. And again, I'm not using it in a derogatory way, uh, being a gatekeeper, a measuring stick, whatever you want to say. But a guy that lives in a 7, 8, 9, 10 rankings, and you have to go through him. But he's the best at it at saying, if you can get through Neil Magny, you're ready. You're ready for some bigger fights because he's a tough one. He's going to test you. The only person that I really saw kind of dispose. Well, look, a couple of guys have gotten through Neil Magny, but like dispose of Neil Magny without any sort of like um, back and forth. I have to, you know, he didn't take any damage of Ian Gary with those low kicks. He did a beautiful job at just playing the sniper game on that one. And then um, Rafael de Sanos. Rafael de Sanos just took him down, head and arm choked him in the first round. Um, that was just another beautiful performance. But other than those guys, it's usually you got to win that third round against Neil Magny. And this guy is a cardio machine. And if you're not ready for those type of things, then it's perfect that you that you lose. Because then you're not ready for five-round, 25-minute fights against dogs that don't go away early. And Mallet is a guy that puts away guys. He He's he's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of Mike Mallet um, a lot. But... um. Yeah, I think he's just at a stage in his career where this is a great fight for him where, yeah, he lost, but he went in there against a guy that he goes, okay, this is the guy that if I beat him, I get to the next level. Now I know what it's like to be in those third rounds. Should I jump to a guillotine in, in the third round or late in the second round and go 100 and burn my arm out? If, you know, maybe not. Now it's just so subtle changes, the fight IQ, um, or just not even that fight IQ, but knowing how to play the momentum to to not gash yourself out because he's always finished, finish, finish, finish. He was searching for that finish against a guy that's not easy to finish. And so now he just makes those adjustments. This is going to make Mike Malott much better, but it showed that Magny's still there, baby. Magny is still a tough guy to deal with. You do not, you know, if you beat Neil Magny, you're real. I'm looking at his record right now. You mentioned Dos Anjos has that win. He lost to Santiago Ponzinibbio at a time when Ponzinibbio was on an incredible run. 
uh, at that point. He lost to Michael Chiesa again. Decision certainly no, and that was a main event. Was uh, a no grappling match, that. yeah, yeah, it was a grappling match. And again, Chiesa very very tough. He lost to Shavkat. He lost to Gilbert Burns. And he lost to Ian Machado Gary. And, of course, Gilbert Burns, we know, is one of the top guys in the world. I mean, you do not beat Neil Magny unless you are a really, really good fighter. And, again, I don't think it's an insult to call him a gatekeeper. Like, he's you, he is the gateway. If you can beat Neil Magny, you're real. If you can't beat Neil Magny, you're not quite there yet. And I don't know. You know, I know some people kind of use it as an insult. I don't. I think, man, to sit, to sit in that top 15 for 10 years – and constantly be a threat to that, you know, and, and know that guys look at you and say, if I want to be a legitimate contender at welterweight, I have to go through Neil Magny. That's huge. And, you know, Shavkat did it, and now he went on to beat Wonderboy, and now we're talking about Shavkat being a, you know, title contender. Ian Machado Gary did it, and we're like, okay, this guy's for real. Because I'll be the first one to admit, I still had questions about Ian Gary. I wasn't sold on him. Oh, I still do, for sure. I, yeah. I definitely do. I mean, he's a sni- he, he, I, I might have mentioned this on your show before, but he's kind of O'Malley to me, where he's a sniper. He's a sniper from far, but what happens in close? What happens on the ground? We haven't seen, we haven't explored any of those areas yet. He's a guy that got dropped. He's, got, he's gotten hurt. He's gotten hit very hard by some unrecognizable, unrecognizable names so far in his career. So I'm not sold on him yet. But look, if you allow him to play sniper, he's going to snipe you up all day. So... Ian Gary is very good if, if if you play his game. You mentioned a guy a while ago, Damon. Uh, my buddy Michael Chiesa. Um, that's a guy I could see them maybe uh, pairing up Mallet with Mike Mallet with next because Chiesa's on like a little bit of a three fight skid right now. Not going to be fighting up anytime soon. I think he's going to be fighting down. And Malat coming off of a loss right there. I think Michael Chiesa sitting around the thirteenth or fourteenth ranking. Um, I think that would be a fight that kind of makes sense. Mike's on three fight skid, Mallet's on a one fight skid. They want to move uh, Mallet up and see where he's at. Um, that could be a, a decent matchup. And, and, and Michael Chiesa didn't have his greatest performance, but he's the guy that could look at this matchup and say, um, "Okay, I could, I could, I could wrestle this guy into the deep round." So I think it'd be an intriguing fight for both guys. Yeah, I think it'd be a really good one. I like that bit of matchmaking a lot. And for Neil Magny, I know he's already mentioned he likes the idea of fighting Wonderboy. I'm not totally against that idea. Two veterans, you know, Wonderboy's coming off a, you know, kind of a tough loss to Shavkat. Magny's coming off a great win. I think that'd be a really fun one. I know Colby called him out, but I'm just, I don't know, I'm kind of over Colby Covington calling anybody out at this point. Uh, you know, like, dude, just fight whoever they put in front of you, man. Like, you know, if you want to prove yourself, then prove yourself. You know, go out there. If, I, if you're going to fight the winner of Vicente Luque, Sean Brady, uh, you know, maybe I'll have a little bit more faith in you, but you losing to Leon and then calling out the 40-year-old guy who also lost on your same card and thinking that's going to get you back to the title. I think, I think Colby Covington's days of calling for his shot are kind of over a little bit because you go out there and have that kind of performance. I don't think you deserve to call your shot, but I like I, I don't mind Neil Magny and Wonder Boy. That's not a bad fight. Uh, I, I'm okay with that. And again, you know, he wants a veteran. That's that's cool. And you know, you go out and do what you did to Mike Malott. Good for you. But yeah, like I said, Neil Magny is a super tough dude. You do not look past this guy. And uh, again, I think we saw Mike Malott took a test. Came up short, you know, and I think that's it's like it's like drive it's like your driving test when you're 16. You pass everything, then you got a parallel park, and you're like, shit, I got a parallel <laughs> park this car, not Maggie. quite there. I failed my first driver's test. I couldn't yeah. parallel park. I had to take it a second time. Uh, I think that's kind of what we just saw with Mike Malad. He needs to learn how to parallel park. Yeah, well, I, I passed my driving test, but I had to cheat on the written test because I wasn't studying <laughs> for it. But Malad, he's going to go back to drawing board. 
He's going to study the guy. The guy, he, he's he's somebody that will be up there. I believe he's somebody that will definitely be in the top 15. I don't know how far his run goes, which yet to be seen. But he had a stumble in the UFC on a pay-per-view card against a veteran savvy guy. No harm, no foul. You go and get better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, overall, you know, listen, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say the UFC 297 was the best card ever. It wasn't. Um, you know, leading into the couple of the bigger fights of the card, it was kind of a kind of a ho-hum kind of card. It was all right. There was a couple of decent fights in there. But, uh, you know, listen, you know, not every pay-per-view is going to be a, a barn burner. Not every pay-per-view is going to be a blockbuster. And we did cap it off with a nice fight with Sean Strickland and Drinkus Duplessis. And then we roll right into next month with Ilya Taporia. Alexander Volkanovsky, Henry Cejudo, Mirab Dewalishvili. Some great fights coming up uh, in March with O'Malley and, and, and Cheeto. And, of course, Dustin Poirier, Benoit Saint-Denis. I mean, and then, of course, UFC 300. So it's not slowing down. This may not – I'll be honest, this was not necessarily the blockbuster card, but we got some blockbusters coming up. I know that for sure. Yeah, 299 and 300 going to be uh, pretty epic. And then I'm not mad at that Anaheim card that you mentioned as well. I think they only get better. They kind of – they kind of start, they started a little bit slow with this one, 297, but 298 becomes a better, 299 becomes even better than that. And then 300 is going to be pretty epic. Uh, I think we have a next good couple of months for fight fans. Yeah, absolutely. Alan, before we get out of here, I always like to give you a chance. So what do you got coming up next? I know obviously you're always working the analyst desk doing things like that. I'm still rooting for you to get that play-by-play gig. So what do you got coming up in the near future? Yeah, I'm I'm working uh one of the fight nights coming up in uh February and March and then uh man, we're going to see they they're talking about going back to Shanghai, China again. Uh there was a card at the end of the year we were supposed to go to Shanghai uh and it felt and and it was going to be kind of a, a mix of a fight night mixed with the finals of the road to the UFC that takes place in China. That fell apart. Something happened with uh you know America and China were traveling and fighters and and it wasn't making sense so they had to cancel that. They had to do a last minute shuffle of the of the of the um uh the fight card over at the Apex. And that was I think it was in November or December. Um but anyway, they're talking about going back to Shanghai possibly in uh March or April. So we'll see, man. We'll see if it's gonna cap off the road to the UFC finals, or if they're gonna announce a, a big fight in China with a, a big Chinese fighter uh, main eventing it. But yeah, I'll be rocking and rolling. You guys will see me at the desk at least once a month, if not twice. I love it. I love it. Well, Alan, it's always a pleasure to catch up. Appreciate you with your insights to UFC 297. I'm sure we'll have you back on the show to break down some fights in the very, very near future. Kind of gotten used to doing a lot of big card breakdowns with you, so I appreciate you doing this as always. And uh, obviously, I know you're doing the Sirius Sirius XFM thing as well. So uh, keep up the great work over there, and we'll see you on the analyst desk. And uh, thank you, as always, for being here with us on the show. Thank you, brother. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 